And so we went out there and we did the first Barkley loop. We started one morning and finished the next morning, camped overnight in the middle, backpacked it. And all the way we thought, what a race. What a race this would be. And welcome to the Run the Race podcast, where we talk weekly about fitness and faith. We all need motivation, whether it's to lose weight or to get stronger physically or get closer to God as we all seek purpose in life. I'm your host, a local TV news anchor, Jason Dennis, hoping to inspire you to run the race of life as we sit down with fascinating guests digging deeper into the mind, body, and soul. Let's do this. And we appreciate you choosing the Run the Race podcast and listening right now as we close out the month of May. And oh, do we have a treat for you today. I was able through email over the last few weeks to get in contact with a a legendary uh, hillbilly race director named Lazarus Lake. His real name is Gary Cantrell, but he's known as Laz. He is the mastermind and race director for decades now behind the Barkley Marathons, known as the toughest road race in the entire world. They've only had 15 finishers in the last 34 years. Unfortunately, that race had to get canceled last month, but he did, with Raw Dog and others, got to create a new thing called the Great Virtual Race Across Tennessee 1000K. It's a little more than that in kilometers. It ends up being about 635 miles from the start of May to the end of August. So you have four months, have to average about five miles. And uh, Laz says he's having a ball. Uh, they have had 19,000 people sign up for it so far. He was only thinking it was about 100 so uh, or a couple hundred. And so we talked to him about that. We also talked to uh, Laz about the Barkley Marathons, which is uh, just an historic uh, event where uh, you have to pay a couple bucks to get in, but only 40 runners are invited to attend and participate in this uh, 130, essentially, mile race over 60 hours. Uh, and extremely difficult uh, conditions. We're going to talk to him about that. And part of the fee to get in is is uh, maybe sometimes been a white dress shirt or flannel shirt. I actually rewatched a documentary that was made about five years ago. It was on Netflix. Now it's on Amazon Prime. I encourage you to go see it. The Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. Some of the failures are spectacular and really funny. But... You like to see people have the opportunity to really find out that something about themselves. And um, it shows Laz, who we're talking to today on this podcast, blowing a conch shell about an hour before the start. That's an unknown time. There's five loops. It's supposed to be about 20 miles each, but it's really more like 26. And they play taps if you choose to quit. So there's a lot of uh, playing of the bugle there. You're given a map, a compass, a simple watch, and you can't use GPS. Nothing's really marked in the woods there in the foothills of Tennessee either for that. They have books at each station where you have to rip out the book. If you're like number 15 runner, you book, uh, you, you rip out the uh, page number 15 of about 10 or 12 books along the way. Uh, books with names like A Walk in the Woods and Idiot. <laughs> there are parts of the course with some uh, unique names uh, like Testicle Spectacle and uh, Rat Jaw, which has tons of thorns that are also called uh, wait a minutes uh, because they uh, kind of wrap around you and this is all kind of uh, based in part or at least started in part after the escape of James Earl Ray Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassin uh, he escaped back in the, the mid 1970s from a prison that's right there on the, the course for the Barkley Marathons which is named after a farmer who's helped with other races uh, kind of random but it definitely works. So we're going to talk to a Gary Cantrell, also known as Lazarus Lake, about uh, the Barkley Marathons and the great virtual race across Tennessee. But before we get to that, I wanted to kind of give you a, a conversation. Uh, one of our meteorologists, she uh, called me today, in fact, and was asking me about um, some just some foot pain she's having. She just got some new running shoes. She wanted to kind of start running or walking for her physical and mental health. So I told her the advice I give her is keep those, keep trying those shoes. They're neutrals. And the, but the key as you're starting things out, she's doing couch to 5K, which is great to do. It's a it's kind of a nice slow start, three times a week, 30 minutes commitment of kind of walking and running and jogging. I said, don't worry about going too fast or too far. 
but the key, uh, at least in terms of helping with some of the pain, make sure you have the, the right running shoes, but also stretch after you run. You want to stretch those hamstrings after you run or jog or walk and the calves, because if you have problems with your hamstrings being too tight, that's going to cause problems with your knee. And uh, Lazarus Lake, our guest for today's podcast, knows all about that and different injuries. Uh, we talked to him about just uh, how this running and exercising is during the pandemic. Uh, this, uh, um, the, the, this bearded saint talks to us about uh, his running career, being a lifelong marathoner, about the Barclay Marathons, this new virtual run and, and backyard runs he's created. He's run over 100,000 miles over the last 55 years so here's our discussion with Laz well I appreciate you joining us I know you're out on your uh, your walk right now getting in six miles for the uh, great virtual race across Tennessee and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit and the Barclay marathons and all kinds of uh, fun adventures you've lived in your life I do uh, something at the top of my podcast. Uh, the interviews, I do a fast four, kind of getting to know you a little bit, some rapid fire questions so that people can uh, get to know Lazarus Lake a little bit. So what is, uh, you know, I know that you've been retired for a decade from a quote unquote real job. So currently what is your job description at work and also at home? Well, if I was, if I still had a job, I was an accountant for a long, long time. And I ended up, the, the last job I had, I was the finance, uh, chief finance officer for a small city. Then, then I just got too old. People won't hire you anymore because you're too old to work. I think that my usefulness to society ran out about 11 years ago. And, uh, you know, I know you're out there uh, walking uh, right now, six miles for uh, your, your daily jaunt. But uh, how, how do you stay physically fit? Like, do you have an average day for you in terms of how much you get out in terms of physical exercise? Running is done. Um, I, I'm on different schedules right now. I do uh, a six-mile day, an eight-mile day, and an 11-mile day, and then circle back. So I have a little recovery. I'm just in a long-term base-building plan so that next uh, January I can start serious training to get ready to do another transcon. Wow. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that, that walk across the USA as well. Do you have – I know that you – kind of always have uh, fun anecdotal stories and, and things you say, um, wisdom. Do you, have, do you have, in particular for you personally, any like spiritual or, or inspirational motto that you live by, something that's really kind of stuck with you for a lot of your life or even currently? Uh, oh, I have a wealth of them. <laughs> I like the, uh, I think one of my favorites up there is always do the right thing. And the other one is we don't set our standards by what other people do. That's good. That's well said. And this may be, could be a lot of things as well, but what is something you feel like is unique about you? <laughs> I, hopefully my uh, genetic makeup. Well, um, you know, we're, we, we were living in this new world of uh, the you know, COVID-19 pandemic, unfortunately, and the Barkley Marathon was supposed to happen last month, canceled for the, I think, only the second time in the legendary race's history. We're going to talk about that a little later in the chat. I know you, you may be tired of talking about that at times, but you came up with this idea, the great virtual race across Tennessee, which I'm, I'm actually taking part in this 1,000K or about 635 miles over four months that people can run or walk. So how did you, um, and they can do that anywhere in the world, not just in Tennessee where you are. So how or why did you come up with this idea that just started uh, earlier this month? Well, I, uh, when I was, was in England when uh, the Chinese shut down Wuhan and I took that as immediate notice that the race schedule this year was going to be quite possibly not ha not happening. So I came home and went straight to work and really up through April was busy trying to batten down the business so that it would survive a year with no income because it turned out that that advance warning was, was totally accurate. And then I started on with that done and, and no races coming up except 
waiting till the time before each one and then trying to deal with whether we could have a reverse reduced version like we had at the strolling gym or no race at all like the Barkley. I started a 9,000 piece puzzle and it gave me time to think and I should never be allowed time to think because <laughs> it's, well, you know that they say the idle hands are the devil's workshop. Yes. So that idea was percolating through my head and I was just kind of contemplating, should I do it or not? I figured I'd draw maybe 200 people. And Steve Durbin called, and he works with me on several of the races, and said, we should put on a virtual race. So I said, I think I have just the race. And by the end of that day, we had it up, <laughs> taking entries. And, you know, we called the, the computer guy that does the stuff for the Vol State and HOTS and said, can we flip that software and use it for a race with maybe 200 people that uh, instead of people telling you where they are and it calculates the miles, people tell you the miles and it calculates where you are. And he said, sure. But like so many things in life, it didn't turn out anything at all like what I planned. Yeah, 19,000 plus people have signed up for it. I mean, how is, this, is that shocking for you? I mean, obviously, a lot of people are looking for some kind of challenge or something to motivate them for sure. Uh, it was a complete surprise to me. Our, our publicity campaign consisted of I made a post on my Facebook page and uh, well, I sent an e one email to the ultra list, the email list. And after and then the entries came in, and it would it was like it, it was a lot like the the virus. It would hit a new place, and then all of a sudden there would be a surge of new cases of people wanting to run virtually across Tennessee. Said, "Oh, we're going to get a thousand people for this." <laughs> we thought that was insane, and then it was two, and then oh my God, there could be four thousand runners. And, and after that, it just completely got out of control. We were busy trying to, okay, we've got to build a system because the one that we had was not designed for 20,000 people. That's right, yeah. And you've got people of all skill levels from um, pretty much everywhere in the entire world and U.S. So for you, I mean, is do you have, like, with everything, with so many people involved, do you have a goal? Like, okay, this is what I'd like to people to get out of this you know great virtual race across tennessee well yeah i just wanted them, i wanted them to have fun and challenge themselves and that was more or less how we set it up said a thousand k across the, the the state in a summer in four months that's only a just right around five miles a day almost anyone that does any running can aspire to that and then we have a thousand mile pin and a double crossing. They get a manky. And you, according to your ability level, there's a target for everybody. And I'm having the most fun, I think, following the, the people that uh, the thousand K across Tennessee in a summer is going to be more than they ever dreamed they could do. Yeah, I mean, this is people are inspired to, to do something they've never done before. And now you talk a lot about that. You're, you're posting, you know, constantly, it seems like every day on the, uh, the GVRAT page. And you're, you talk about the steady state to reach the goal and, and uh, the efforts. You, I think you compared it to building a campfire. So, I mean, what is the strategy, especially people that are maybe, um, you know, not as, you know, um, uh, not professional runners or haven't gone this long a distance before? You, you have to start within what you're capable of doing and really get out there every day and put in a little bit and gradually get in shape. We have a, a entrant among the field that's on the map every day, the buzzard. And the buzzard is moving at the cutoff pace. It's moved, the buzzard will exactly hit 1,000 kilometers on March the 31st. So stay ahead of the buzzard. <laughs> So people, that, a lot of people, and I didn't know if they would embrace this idea, but they really have. They know that they're starting out behind the buzzer, and they're losing ground right now. But they have all summer to get in shape and stop losing ground and then start making it up 
And they just they want to catch the buzzard before August the 31st. So it's, you know, that's, that's a dramatic and exciting race between these people and the buzzard. <laughs> and you can either bank miles, I guess, ahead of time, or, or you can maybe, uh, you know, borrow from the finish line. I guess there's different strategies for, for people, maybe based on where they live or the temperatures as well. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are running in the middle of winter and some of them are running in the heat of summer. Uh, one poor guy that I know I talked to him yesterday and they, it was 104 degrees there, which is, wow. He said he has to do this way in the middle of the night because otherwise it's just not, not tolerable. And he's in a place where that they're really serious about stuff. So he has to wear a mask. He said a mask at 104 degrees is really, really a crippling thing. Yeah, and and you, I know the rules are you can obviously run the miles, but you can also, if you go out for a walk, you know, by yourself or with your family or your dog, um, not not counting steps as you're walking around. But so you know, you're walking all these miles, and yeah, I think you have a goal more than the 635 miles. You have you're are you trying to reach the a thousand actual miles? Over the course of four the, months, the thousand miler makes a good target for me. I was a little bit behind that pace. Uh, I, th- I don't know if I said earlier that I'm in a a long term training plan and building base for a transcon next summer. So I don't want to really pick it up way up and try to shoot for like the double crossing. I would just beat myself up when I really need to be building up. But the thousand miler was just a little bit beyond what I was doing, so I've, I'm guilty of increasing. And now I have to fight the temptation every day when I see where everyone else is on the map. You know how you just want to pass that one guy in front of you, right? Yeah, <laughs> and you get to see but him on the map. Day, no matter how many people you pass right in front of you, there's going to be another one. Yeah. Yeah, thousands <laughs> in front of you. And and some have uh, uh, amazingly already finished this race, some averaging 50 or 60 miles a day. I think Gingerbread Man, I've had people ask me about uh, him or her. So tell, Gingerbread Man was the, the first finisher, right? Gingerbread Man won in 11 days. We always knew he would. He's, he's a legend. And he also won the 145 to 150. Uh, age group, or is it 141 to 145? Yeah, because I, you know, and there's people kind of playing, you know, having their own kind of competition within the competition. Because, like, I counted all the Jasons since I'm a Jason. There's about 100. There's 107, and I'm I'm 40. I'm, I'm 49th right now. So um, I'm I'm in the top seven thousand overall. I'm almost two hundred k in. So uh, we'll see if I can kind of get into that top five thousand overall. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. And because I know you're trying to, you, I think you were earlier you were trying to stay in the top three thousand overall as the race director. I want to hit the top three thousand. I didn't know I would be that high, but the way it's working right now, when I do my long day, I've been getting up above 3,000. I've been as high as about 2,500. But then I do my two shorter days, and I drop down to around 3,500. So come the end of the race, ah, I may have to sacrifice some shorter days. Just <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're no spring chicken anymore, you know? So, and, and I, and I think I I read somewhere that you started running as uh, in middle school back in the, the 1960s. So tell us, you know, how, why you became a runner and what you really liked about it. And obviously it's, it's for you, it's been a a lifelong love. Well, I did my first, my first run of a mile measured mile with a, with a watch on it when I was 12 and uh, my dad had seen a him and all his buddies at work everybody saw this this uh, feature on the evening news one night about some family in Texas that did this crazy thing called jogging <laughs> and it was probably the first real running boom although to call it a boom by today's standards it was nothing but lots of people and Got out and started doing their one mile a day, and I went with my dad, and he ran 
he just wanted to break eight minutes for a mile. And the first day I went out there, I broke eight minutes for the mile and beat my dad. Nice. We're a very competitive family, but not the kind of family where you let the kids win. Oh, so, so, so it was a legit win. I never beat him at anything before, but I could, I could run a mile faster than him. Wow. And I kind of toyed around with it in the ninth grade. I think I ran like a 515 mile, 525, something like that. But it was pretty disorganized in high school. Being from a very sports-oriented family, I thought you're supposed to try to make some team. And what I always dreamed of being was a football player, but I was a five-foot-tall, 70-pound sophomore. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, there's not... You look at the sports, and even in wrestling, there's there's like a twenty pound difference between that and the lowest weight class. There's there was no other sport to pick but running, so I went out for track and cross country and had a very mediocre high school career. I did break a five minute mile, and but you know nothing spectacular. That that's that's that spectacular in my eyes for sure. <laughs> I, I think. If, you, if you're on the outside and you see all the people that run four-minute miles, you don't appreciate, it's really hard to break a five-minute mile. Yeah, I think I had a friend once that said, it hurts when you can't breathe. And that's kind of what has to happen when you run that fast. <laughs> the mile will always be, in my mind, the most painful, most painful event in, in running. And that third lap around the track is as close to hell as you can actually get without dying. <laughs> and people do that on purpose, right? <laughs> and people do it on purpose. And, and fast forward, uh, you know, in, in 50 years, uh, and, and I think you've, you've kept count of this. Uh, you, I, I think I've, I've read that you have run uh, over 100,000 miles in the last five decades. Is that right? You're still keeping count of this? It's, uh, I'm up to about 55 years, and I haven't kept a religious count. After I, after I realized it was time to retire from competitive running, I haven't, I'll, I'll log my miles when I'm getting ready for something. Like, I'm logging everything I do in preparation for the transcon. And uh, the most miles I did in a year was a little over 4,300. Mm. I know doing the math that I'm... Well north of 100,000 miles, but I couldn't give you an exact figure. Well, uh, six figures is plenty. <laughs> I, I wish I'd kept track of it the whole time, but, yeah. well, you know, I, I can't use my memory and fill in the blanks now. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you, your given name is Gary Cantrell, but uh, obviously people around the world know you as Lazarus Lake or Laz, so... Um, how did you get that nickname? Was it something you've had for a long time or? It was an accident when, when they started email, you have your email at work and it would be your name or your title or your name and your title. And so it, as email started to get into to use with people outside of just a work environment, I, I just looked one day, I said, I have a bunch of personal emails on my work email account. I need to get my own account. So I set up the Hotmail account I still use. And when it came time to put in your name, I typed in my name and then I thought, oh no, hell, this, inter this, this internet stuff, who knows where the hell these emails go when you send them. So I should just put a name in there that's not mine that people will recognize that I know. So if someone I know gets an email, they'll know it's from me. But if someone's picking these things out of the air, they won't know who it's from. You need some privacy, you know. So I just picked Lazarus Lake as a name to put on there. Something was distinctive. People was, you know, it was, it was not like John John Smith or something. And then I went along for some years, and email became more and more of a thing. And I got on the ultra email list and did stuff. And one day I went to a race and realized there were people who thought that was actually my name. Because <laughs> <laughs> you forget about it. You don't write everybody and say, this is not my real name. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
And you're you're known as being very witty. Uh, some people have called you a genius or or a sadist <laughs> for some of the things, the challenges you put out there. Um, you know, for for runners, you know, maybe there's people that are brand new at running, or you obviously have elites that you've uh, dealt with a lot. For for any of them, what would you say? I mean, is there a you think feel like there's a mental or spiritual side of running for people you know out there and and um, kind of being out there either on your own or in a race or anything? Oh, I, I think, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, the, the, the world is my church. So I go to church every day, but I, I, you know, never felt like I could feel closer to God inside of a building. So this is, and it's, it's, I don't know if you would call it spiritual or just a matter of personal growth to find out what you can do and and always be looking for things i think when you get as you go through your whole life and even more important when you're older having those goals out always having something that you're working towards that five minute mile doesn't just happen or the four minute mile whatever it is is out there that you can attain if you want to do your best you have to work for it you have to do the things it takes to get it Absolutely, and it's uh, I think it's kind of that that steady and and the journey I guess is really more important more important than the finish line for a lot of folks. Ah, the, in the end, the journey is the best part. It uh, now if if things will straighten out and I get to do my transcon next year, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But either way. <laughs> had a year and a half of working for it it has been really enjoyable and and i like where i am right now that i'm in decent enough condition to go out and do my 60 miles a week and not really suffer discomfort from it now did you you uh i know you walked across the usa um was it in 2018 is that correct 2018 yes so what was that like? I mean, how long did that take you? And, and were you averaging a certain amount of miles a day? <laughs> it was, it was, uh, took me four months. I ended up averaging about 27 miles a day and it was a race every day. I did pretty much 14 hours a day, which is really a little bit beyond, at least for me, it was beyond I could reach this was it was a difficult challenge that you completed over the four months in 2018 yes this one i'm doing next summer is going to be a different a different animal i'm planning out to average about 20 between 21 and 22 miles a day and throw in a lot of easy days along the way i wanted to do one as hard as i could do just to see if i could do it I wish I'd done it when I was young and I could have done it in a quarter of the time, but I don't know if I would have been mentally prepared to withstand that kind of beating. Yeah. And, and I know you're, I'm, I'm sure you probably are hoping to finish by the time the Barkley marathons come back around in April, hopefully be able to have it uh, next year. And I know you guys, I mean, it's been a, um, it's a really a legendary race now. Only 15 finishers, I believe, in 34 years. You're the mastermind behind what some call the toughest race in the world. So how did that get started? I mean, was this, this just a kind of a, like you said, with the great virtual race across Tennessee, just an idea you had? Yeah, yeah. Time to think. It's a dangerous thing. I don't need time to think. <laughs> it, uh, it, I did a lot of backpacking and backtracking trips when I was younger. And one of the places that we would go was Frozen Head State Park. It wasn't a park then, it was just a forest. And uh, when we went with, uh, with other people, we saw these trails on the map around the, the perimeter that were just, the contour lines looked like shading. And we said, man, that's gotta be some kind of a hike. But we had to plan a trip for just me and Raw Dog because normal people are not really drawn to that kind of thing. And so we went out there and we did the first Barkley Loop. 
We started one morning and finished the next morning, camped overnight in the middle, backpacked it, and all the way we thought, what a race. What a race this would be. A challenging one at that. And, and I know that there is a connection to, um, I think, kind of uh, sitting uh, on the course or right next to the course is the brushy mountain state penitentiary where uh, James Earl Ray was uh, um, there in the 1970s. So there's a connection with, like, uh, the, the escape, I guess, with him and some other inmates, right? Well, in 76, when he escaped, we had been backpacking up there a lot already, and we kind of followed on the news like I think most of the nation did, but especially in Tennessee, it was a big deal every day that he was out. And I kept saying, oh, you know, they'd never, they caught him eight and a half miles away. So there's no way in that length of time I could have been a hundred miles from there. <laughs> But there were a lot of factors I didn't understand. I was, I was young and dumb, and when you're young and dumb, you think you can do anything. <laughs> and it was, I guess, it was kind of an underground race for quite a while. I mean, people competed in every, you know, forty people handpicked every year. Um, and then in 2014, you had this documentary film. Um, the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young. And so that brought this worldwide attention. It was on Netflix. Now it's on Amazon Prime. So did that change things for you for this mystical race? You know, maybe change it forever? It changed some aspects. I know that people say, well, don't you get a thousand more applications? Well, we always had a large application because people that do that kind of stuff, they've known about it for a long time. And uh, the, uh, the, the extra, extra applications we get are mostly not, they're not serious applications. They, you know, they, I, I have no experience, but I'm really, really tough and determined. Yeah, I, sometimes, I get, sometimes I'm ugly and I write them back and say, yeah, we hadn't thought about letting tough and determined people in there before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been kind of good. I I take people that are really have no experience and try to steer them. I say, you know, there's other ultra marathons that you can run, and here's where you would look to find them if you just build some credentials and get back to me. And you know, when you when you have when you have a resume, we'll certainly consider you. And they, of course, they get out of. A lot of them are just, well, I only want the final reward. I don't want anything that goes along the way. I just want the final reward. And they're gone. They can go through life looking for things where you get the reward without doing the work. But a lot of them, you have to forgive me being breathless. I just got up that last stupid hill before the house. Okay, you got the six miles in. All right. We live on top of a hill. (laughs) It's... We eat hills for breakfast, right? <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> no, eventually the hill eats you for lunch. There you go. It does. It does. I'm um, not as gracefully as the hill. It's still as tough as it ever was. Well, while you're catching your breath, I wanted to ask you about, um, I, you know, the, the I had a friend that wanted me to ask you about the uh, the tough application process for a race like the Barkley Marathons and, and kind of well, you, 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 the unique way, I guess. You only have 40 hand-picked runners each year, and you they have to write an essay. But the entry fee is interesting, what, only a dollar sixty and a license plate, I think, to get in. So are these just kind of, you know, fun, unique things that kind of to, that come out of your mind to, to do this for this race? Well, see, we're actually sticking it to the runners with the dollar a sixty because we tell them it's a dollar per mile, and there's a hundred miler and a sixty miler, <laughs> but the fifty miler is actually contained within the hundred. So mm. we're double charging them that last sixty cents. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 your fee, right? I'm a, I'm a con artist, man. I, <laughs> I'm, you just don't know how many Dr. Peppers that's bought for me over the years. That's right, yeah. Or cigarettes, right? Or camels and Dr. Peppers. I, I spend it right away. We don't give them a refund no matter what happens. Now, for people that have not been out there to the uh, the foothills of Tennessee, 
uh, Frozen Head State Park, or maybe they may haven't seen the documentary about the Barkley Marathons. So this is um, a total elevation gain of 60,000 feet, which um, I think is uh, like uh, equal to climbing Mount Everest twice. So I mean, really, for, yeah. So for the for people that are just kind of learning about Barkley Marathons, I mean, how how tough is the terrain there um, there at the park in Tennessee in the foothills? You have alternating layers of uh, coal and shale and sandstone. So as the hills erode, the softer stuff erodes faster, and and the the sandstone, which sounds soft, but it doesn't erode very fast because the, the water can't penetrate it. And so you have really steep pitches between what are countless false summits when you hit the layers of sandstone. Hmm. The mountains are not really impressive to look at, and in the early days, you'd have people come from, you know, the Rockies or the Himalayas or different different mountain range, the Alps. And so these are these are like foothills. But you know, the measure in a hill of a real of a hill is in the running. Yeah. And pretty much everyone knows coming in now that they're not imp- they're not scary to look at, but they are hard. Yeah, and five loops to, to reach that uh the yellow gate that is at the start and the finish. And one thing that <laughs> I that I think is just really Cool, and, and I may try to do this as part of my uh, great virtual run across Tennessee, but um, you've got the books at each kind of checkpoint, and if, like they say, they are runner number um, you know, 37 or 25 or whatever, they have to get that page out of the book and right. bring, bring all the pages back. So, is, I mean, that's kind of a pretty fascinating part of the race, right? If uh, the checkpoints enabled you to be sure the runners did the course, and if we had someone not show back up and we wanted to know where they last got to, you can go and look and see if their page number is still in the book. You go to the middle book, and if their page number is still there, you know they're in the first half of the course. And then you go to the halfway point of the, of the first lap or the first half and see if they got there. You can triangulate them pretty quickly, especially since we always have access to some people who can travel very fast in the woods and know how to find their way. And there are some very creative names, um, uh, clever names to these books. Give us some, a sample of some of the uh, the book names that are appropriate for this race. I think, uh, of course, there's, a, there's been so many. There's a lot of them, but one, one that stood out to me. You always try to make the names of the book fit where it is. And the last book page was, or the last book one year was, it wasn't always easy, but it sure was fun. Yep. Yep. That, that's, that sounds like your life, right? Yeah, it does. Last year's final book was, let's just pretend this never happened. <laughs> I'm sure that's where they're thinking. They just want to curl up in a ball and, and lay down uh, in the leaves uh, during one of these loops, right? <laughs> Not tell anyone it took them 17 hours to do 20 miles. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so, and, and another friend wanted me to ask you, uh, do you ever foresee a woman completing Barclay? Somebody mentioned to me, Courtney Daywalter, maybe. I mean, is that something you, you foresee maybe happening in the future? Or, or I mean, this is... Such a challenging thing. Who know? It's hard to predict. So far, there hasn't even been a woman come close. There's only one woman has ever gotten out on the fourth lap in all these years. Um, it requires the complete set of skills to do the race. You have to be a good navigator. You have to be able to take care of yourself in all manner of weather and and go out equipped with a pack you can carry, but you still have everything you need if it's 10 degrees or 80 degrees. Because it can, it, the year before, or yeah, the last year we ran it, it was a 65 degree temperature swing during one lap. Wow. <laughs> and, and each, and I know, I know there's five laps to obviously complete the task in the matter of 60 hours. That's the, the clock is, is ticking all the whole time. 
So each lap is, it's, it's quote unquote 20 miles, but is it really more like 25 or 30 miles with all that treacherous uh, terrain? It's only over 20 if you can't find your way. Okay. <laughs> but I, who wants to admit it took them 17 hours to cover 20 miles and it hurt. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, we're looking forward to hopefully it coming back uh, next year. Unfortunately, the, you know, COVID-19 has has uh, had most a lot of races and marathons biting the dust. And we were talking earlier about the books that were as, as a part of this race. And um, I know that you yourself are an accomplished writer. Uh, do you have like a favorite book or something that you've written that, that for you is favorite? I know you've written about dogs and all kinds of things. Written about dogs and basketball. I write lots of columns. I've been writing for Ultra Running Magazine um, since they found since they started in either 1980 or 1981, and I'm I'm the last one left. I'm of the original group that w- that did it, and I'm not sure why they keep me around, but I don't want to ask because it might just be a matter that they've forgotten I'm there. <laughs> they're like who's this last guy or, or gary cantrell <laughs> um and uh for you i know you're you know retired i guess from you know uh the accounting those kind of jobs but you've got grown kids and grandkids and so do you what do you do in your spare time or, or do you have any spare time especially with this virtual race across tennessee well we're putting on six races a year and we've been doing the backyard ultras, which prior to COVID, it had really taken off. There were there were 118 races in, I want to say, 37 countries. And I've been going around and helping people get those off the ground. And, and uh, we made our original one the world championship and had golden ticket events. And so... Just building that up and seeing it go, I think it'll, if everything comes back to normal, it'll be a, a nice viable entity and, and probably be, so it can be somebody's job. It, uh, I don't expect to, to be around long enough to really reap the rewards from it, but the building it is the fun. And, and during this pandemic, you know, you've seen a lot of people in, you know, in, in uh, England and, and different countries and the U.S. running literally their own backyard or their own garden kind of marathons and ultras and running around their apartment complex. I mean, is it for you that's, is that, I mean, in the midst of pandemic when we can't be out with a bunch of people, is, is that cool to see, to, you know, see, um, you know, these unique, you know, kind of made up their own races? Yeah, it's, um, and that's a lot of the, of the uh, great rat race has been that it's formed a community of people, even though they only are on the internet. There's a, a lot of people getting to know each other that have never seen each other. The people are sending pictures into the Facebook group of where they're doing their running. And since there's runners in 77 countries, there's all kinds of stuff. Of course, a lot of them, they're on total lockdown, so their picture is of a treadmill <laughs> looking out the window. Yeah. Some people have better sights than others. Do you, do you have any hopes for, like, I mean, cause now that obviously maybe your mindset's changed with so many runners from all over the world, 19,000 or close to 20,000, What do you have any hopes for, like, you know, as the great virtual race across Tennessee continues? We're only, I mean, a quarter of the way through it. Um, hopes for, like, you know, what it does for folks? Um, I hope it continues doing what it's been doing that I'm trying to stay on there and, and, uh, look at it from the perspective of someone who's just starting out and, and pick the timely, you know, this is the point at which you have this obstacle to overcome and put it out there that the one they see, it's not just happening to them. Everyone's, everyone's feeling the same thing. And, and, uh, Here's how you mentally get through it. Maybe it's maybe it's arrogance on my part, but I've I know that what it's like to be a back in the pack average runner, and I know what it's like to work through work through the mental obstacles that you have in 
in carrying out a long-term training plan. In a way, it's it's almost more like a training plan. I think over half the entrants have to be better by the end than they were at the start, or they won't make it. Yeah, because I mean, you got the excitement at the beginning, and people are out there and excited. But now it's like when you when things are hurting, when things get hotter. And I think you wrote on there on the uh, on the Facebook page, a journey like this is not a sprint. It's a marathon, and so it's it's physical, it's mental, it's finding the time to, to do it, right? And it's it's also realizing that say, the day you go and it feels great, and you do two more miles than you planned on doing because you're just really having a great day, those are not the ones that get you there. The, the ones that get you there are when you don't feel good, and you're flat, and you're tired, and you're a little sore, And you still get out there and do a couple of three miles and get something in and move a little closer to your goal. Those are the days that are going to win it for you. Not the, not the easy ones, the hard ones. Well, I'm on target right now to finish in uh, early to mid August. So I'm going to try to stay ahead of schedule and, uh, and we appreciate all what you and your team have done to, to do the uh, great virtual race across Tennessee and all these other races and, and, uh, and we uh, wish you the very best, best. and thank you for uh, taking the time today, Lazarus. Well, I appreciate you having me on there, and I, I was glad that you revealed where you were in the field because I was definitely going to find out before it was over and make sure you weren't one of those damn people that's going to beat me. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to train for a marathon, so I'm, I'm hoping to get about uh, a 16-miler in uh, this weekend and then 18 after that. And so we'll, uh, I may catch you, but I, I doubt it. We'll see. I'm going to have my eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, sir. And enjoy your uh, well-deserved rest after getting your miles in today. All right. I appreciate it. Just sitting here on the porch in the woods because I really am an old hillbilly that lives in the woods. There you go. Yes. Yes, you are. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Laz. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. And definitely it was cool talking to Lazarus Lake on the phone as he was uh, walking through Tennessee, getting his miles in. He is definitely a hoot. Um, As for me, I'm about 25 days into the great virtual race across Tennessee. I've done 153 miles, most of that running, but about 10 of that walking, or I'm about 244K in to the the, the 1,000K. So I'm about a quarter way done, projected to finish August 11th with about three weeks to spare. And uh, Laz, Gary Cantrell, who started running back in 1966 and then went on to Middle Tennessee State University, and I think he's got about 200 miles under his belt right now for this month. And uh, he said one of his biggest months of the year, I found out later, is about 900 miles. So he has uh, definitely done a lot of running in uh, the last five or six decades. And the uh, um, parting gift for today is a quote from Lazarus Lake I found on a recent post he had on the Facebook page for this great virtual race we're running across Tennessee, 19,000 of us. He said, quote, we are lucky as runners. In other sports, there comes a day when you can no longer play. We still get to play, but we have to understand where we are in life. Our days of leading the pack are a thing of the past. The old wolf has to hunt with the teeth he's got. I love that. I'm going to say that again. The old wolf has to hunt with the teeth he's got. So it's kind of carpe diem, but but know your limitations. And, uh, you know, we're all going to struggle with comparison sometimes and numbers. And, you know, age is going to happen. We're all going to grow older. We're all going to die. Uh, that's something we, we cannot deny. Uh, the real race, really, for this virtual race is just getting started. A test of our will, our focus, our determination, according to Laz. And, you know, we're going to have obstacles. He's talking about storms and heat and fatigue and busy life and injury, but, you know, we're never too old, he says, or slow to enjoy the thrill of the chase. And it was a pleasure to talk to Laz about so many different things. He has a he has a lot of wisdom. And for this race they're doing as well, uh, they there has been $100,000 donated so far to food banks in Tennessee, so it's going for a great cause as well. Turning now to our final segment of the day, Food for Thought. And since we're talking about uh, extreme things like uh, these uh, long-distance runs, 
when it comes to Laz and so many of us across the country. Uh, we're to also want to talk about extreme faith. In Christianity Today, there is a, an article titled Extreme Faith. And uh, Gordon MacDonald, the author, says there was about 1,700 years ago, there was a church leader known as St. Basel. People would say of him, his words were like thunder because his life was like lightning. And you may know a few people like that when it comes to their faith, people who exhibit this extreme faith. Uh, maybe they understand there's something deeper to faith than we've imagined. And you can really assess that with folks by the things which they are curious about, according to this article called Preaching Today. Extreme faith is built upon those greater curiosities. And on the fitness side of things, here's something extreme as well. Elite runner Zach Bitter set a new world record for 100 miles on a treadmill with a time of 12 hours, 9 minutes, and 15 seconds, uh, crushing the previous world record, which was uh, really but 12 hours and 32 minutes and 26 seconds. Bitter averaged a pace of roughly 7.12 a mile. And uh, I'm not a fan of treadmills, but that's impressive, 100 miles at that speed. He ran from his Phoenix, Arizona home on a Nordic track incline uh, trainer. He said running on that was comfortable. He was able to fully focus on pushing himself without the added mental strain of tracking splits and all kinds of things. He's already known as the fastest 100-miler on track at about just a shade under 11 hours, 20 minutes, and the trail, 12 hours and 8 minutes and 36 seconds there. Uh, He created this event for himself, of course, after all of our races have been canceled. He said, quote, the quarantine situation is like an ultra. The first 50 miles is physical, the second is mental. I agree there with him. Congratulations to runner Zach Bitter for that new record for 100 miles on a treadmill. And closing now in prayer, thank you, God, for... uh, um, this being able to be free to go out and run and walk and uh, to go to parks and to neighborhoods and different places, Lord God, the ability to be able to do that and stay active during this COVID-19 pandemic. We also, as we just celebrated um, Memorial Day and honored those who have given their lives, we pray for our, our men and women in uniform who have given, made the ultimate sacrifice and the uh, military families who have given up so much as well. And we, can, uh, we pray for safety for all those who are out staying active, that we uh, don't face serious injuries, and that we're able to inspire other people, Lord God, that uh, through our faith and through our fitness. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. This is episode number 26. If you want to listen to any of the previous 25, go to WTVM.com slash podcast. We've got, uh, got it on Spotify, got it on Google Play, Stitcher, and also on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love for you to give us, uh, you know, subscribe to it, but also help out by going to the bottom of the Apple page for Run the Race and doing a five-star review, telling us what you think about this. You know, if you liked our conversation with Laz, if something else you'd like to hear about, or uh, just what you think about it. And we'd, we'd love to hear from you as we continue uh, this journey together, talking about fitness and faith, things that, that we all are striving to get better at. And as Lazarus Lake would say, a journey like this is not a sprint. It's a marathon, so happy running, walking, or whatever you're doing. Have a great day.